0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we start with Chapter 19 of The House of a Thousand Candles. Chapter 19 I Meet an Old Friend When I reached the house, I found, to my astonishment, that the window I had left open as I scrambled out the night before was closed. I dropped my bag and crept to the front door, thinking that if Bates had discovered my absence, it was useless to attempt any further deception. I was amazed to find the great doors of the main entrance flung wide, and in real alarm I ran through the hall and back to the library. The nearest door stood open, and, as I peered in, a curious scene disclosed itself. A few of the large cathedral candles still burned brightly in in several places, their flame rising strangely in the gray morning light. Books had been taken from the shelves and scattered everywhere, and sharp implements had cut ugly gashes in the shelving. The drawers containing sketches and photographs had been pulled out, and their contents thrown about and trampled underfoot. The house was as silent as a tomb, but as I stood on the threshold trying to realize what had happened, something stirred by the fireplace and I crept forward, listening, until I stood by the long table beneath the great chandelier. Again I heard a sound as of some animal waking and stretching, followed by a moan that was undoubtedly human. Then the hands of a man clutched the farther edge of the table, and slowly and evidently, with infinite difficulty, a figure rose, and the dark face of Bates, with eyes blurred and staring strangely, confronted me. He drew his body to its height, and leaned heavily upon the table. I snatched a candle, and bent toward him, to make sure my eyes were not tricking me. "'Mr. Glenarm," he exclaimed, in broken whispers. "'It's Bates, sir!' "'What have you done? "'What has happened?' I demanded. "'He put his hand to his head "'uncertainly, and gaped as though "'trying to gather his wits. "'He was evidently dazed by whatever had occurred, "'and I sprang around and helped him "'to a couch. He would not lie "'down, but sat up, staring "'and passing his hand over his head. "'It was rapidly growing lighter, "'and I saw a purple and black streak "'across his temple, where a bludgeon "'of some sort had struck him. "'What does this mean, Bates?' "'Who has been in the house?' "'I can't—I can't tell you, Mr. Glenarm.' "'Can't tell me?' "'You will tell me, or go to jail. "'There's been mischief done here, "'and I don't intend to have any nonsense about it from you. "'Well?' He was clearly suffering, but in my anger at the sight of the wreck of the room I grasped his shoulder and shook him roughly. "'It was early this morning,' he faltered. "'About two o'clock. "'I heard noises in the lower part of the house.' I came down thinking likely it was you and remembering that you had been sick yesterday. Yes, go on. The thought of my truancy was no balm to my conscience just then. As I came into the hall I saw lights in the library. As you weren't as you weren't down last night the room hadn't been lighted at all. I heard steps and someone tapping with a hammer. Yes, a hammer? Go on. It was then the same old story the war had been carried openly into the house. But Bates! Just why should anyone connected with the conspiracy injure Bates, who stood so near to Pickering, its leader? The fellow was undoubtedly hurt. There's no mistaking the lump on his head. He spoke with a painful difficulty that was not assumed, I felt increasingly sure, as he went on. I saw a man pulling out the books and tapping the inside of the shelves, He was working very fast, and the next thing I knew he let in another man through one of the terrace doors, the one there, it still stands a little open. He flinched as he turned slightly to indicate it, and his face twitched with pain. Never mind that. Tell the rest of your story. Then I ran in, grabbed one of the big candelabra from the table, and went for the nearest man. They were about to begin on the chimney breast there. It was Mr. Glenarm's pride in all the house, and that accounts for my being there in front of the fireplace. They rather got the best of me, sir. Clearly, I see they did. You had a hand-to-hand fight with them. And being two to one— No, there were two of us. Don't you understand? Two of us. There was another man who came running in from somewhere, and he took sides with me. I thought at first it was you. The robbers thought so, too, for one of them yelled— Great God, it's gun-arm. Just like that. But it wasn't you. It was quite another person. That's a good story so far. Then what happened? I, I don't remember much more, except that someone soused me with water that helped my head considerably, and the next thing I knew I was staring across the table here at you. Who were these men, Bates? Speak up, quickly. My tone was peremptory. Here was, I felt, a crucial moment in our relations. "'Well?' he began, deliberately. "'I dislike to make charges against a fellow man, but I strongly suspect one of the men have been—' "'Yes? Tell the whole truth, or it will be the worse for you. "'I very much fear one of them was Ferguson, the gardener over the way. "'I'm disappointed in him, sir.' "'Very good. And now for the other one?' I didn't get my eyes on him. I had closed with Ferguson, and we were having quite a lively time of it, when the other one came in. Then the man who came to my help mixed us all up. He was a very lively person. And what became of Ferguson, and the rest of it, I don't know. There was food for thought in what he'd said. He had taken punishment in defense of my property. The crack on his head was undeniable, and I couldn't abuse him or question his veracity with any grace not at least without time for investigation and study. However, I ventured to ask him one question. If you were guessing, shouldn't you think it quite likely that Morgan was the other man? He met my gaze squarely. I think that wholly possible, Mr. Glenarm. And the man who helped you? Who in the devil was he? Bless me, I don't know. He disappeared. I'd like mightily to see him again. (laughs) Humph! "'Now you'd better do something for your head. "'I'll summon the village doctor if you say so.' "'No, thank you, sir. "'I'll take care of it myself.' "'And now we'll keep quiet about this. "'Don't mention it or discuss it with anyone.' "'Certainly not, sir.' He rose and staggered a little, but crossed to the broad mantel-shelf in the great chimney-breast, rested his arm upon it for a moment, passed his hand over the dark wood with a sort of caress, "'then bent his eyes upon the floor littered with books and drawings and papers "'torn from the cabinets "'and all splashed with tallow and wax from the candles. "'The daylight had increased "'until the havoc wrought by the night's visitors "'was fully apparent. "'The marauders had made a sorry mess of the room, "'and I thought Bates' lip quivered as he saw the wreck. "'It would have been a blow to Mr. Glenarm. "'The room was his—this room was his pride. "'His pride, sir.' He went out toward the kitchen, and I ran up the stairs to my own room. I cursed the folly that had led me to leave my window open, for undoubtedly Morgan and his new ally, St. Agatha's gardener, had taken advantage of it to enter the house. Quite likely, too, they had observed my absence, and this would undoubtedly be communicated to Pickering. I threw open my door, and started back with an exclamation of amazement. Standing at my chiffonier, between two windows, was a man— "'clad in a bath-gown, my own,' I saw with fury, "'his back to me, the razor in his face, placidly shaving himself. "'Without turning he addressed me, quite coolly and casually, "'as though his being there was the most natural thing in the world. "'Morning, Jack. Rather damaging evidence, that costume. "'I suppose it's the custom of the country for gentlemen in evening clothes "'to go out by the window and return by the door. "'You might think the other way around preferable.' larry i shouted jack kick that door shut and lock it he commanded in a sharp severe tone that i remembered well and just now welcomed in him how why and when never mind about me jack i'm here i've thrown the enemy off for a few days and you give me lessons in current history first while i climb into my armor pray pardon the informality He seized a broom and began work upon a pair of trousers to which mud and briars clung tenaciously. His coat and hat lay on a chair, they too, much the worse for rough wear. There was never any use in refusing to obey Larry's orders, and as he got into his clothes I gave him, in as few words as possible, the chief incidents that had marked my stay at Glenarm House. He continued dressing with care, helping himself to a shirt and collar from my chiffonier, and choosing with unfailing eye the best tie in my collection. Now and then he asked a question tersely, or again he laughed or swore direly in Gaelic. When I had concluded the story of Pickering's visit and of the conversation I overheard between the executor and Bates in the church porch, Larry wheeled round with the scarf half-tied in his fingers and surveyed me commiseratingly. And you didn't rush them both on the spot and have it out? No, I was much too taken aback, for one thing, "'I dare say you were. "'And for another, I didn't think the time ripe. "'I'm going to beat that fellow, Larry, "'but I want him to show his hand fully "'before we come to a smash-up. "'I know as much about the house and its secrets as he does. "'That's one consolation. "'Sometimes I don't believe there's a shilling here, "'and again, I'm sure there's a big stake in it. "'The fact that Pickering is risking so much "'to find what's supposed to be hidden here is pretty fair evidence that something's buried on this place.' Yeah, possibly, but they're giving you a lively boycott now. Where in the devil have you been? Well, I began and hesitated. I had not mentioned Marion Devereux, and this did not seem the time for confidences of that sort. He took a cigarette from his pocket and lighted it. Bah, These women, under the terms of your revered grandfather's will, you have thrown away all your rights. It looks to me as a member of the Irish bar in bad standing, as though you had delivered yourself up to the enemy, so far as the legal situation is concerned. How does that strike you? Yeah, I've... Of course, I've forfeited my rights, but I don't mean that anyone shall know it yet a while. My lad, don't deceive yourself. Everybody round here will know it before nightfall. You ran off, left your window open invitingly, and two gentlemen who had been wanting to break in found that they didn't take the trouble. One came in through your own room, noting, of course, your absence, let his friend in below, and tore up the place regrettably. Yes, but how did you get here, if you don't mind telling me? Well, it's a short story. The little chap from Scotland Yard, who annoyed me so much in New York and drove me to Mexico, for which he may dwell forever in fiery torment, has never given up. "'I shook him off, though, at Indianapolis three days ago. "'I bought a ticket for Pittsburgh with him at my elbow. "'I suppose he thought the chase was growing tame "'and that the further east he could arrest me, "'the nearer I should be to a British consul in Tidewater. "'I went ahead of him into the station "'and out into the Pittsburgh sleeper. "'I dropped my bag into my section, "'if that's what they call it in your atrocious American language, "'looked out and saw him coming along the platform. "'Just then the car began to move.' They were shunting it about to attach a sleeper that had been brought in from Louisville and my carriage, or whatever you call it, when skimming out of the sheds into a yard where everything seemed to be most noisy and complex. I dropped off in the dark just before they began to haul the carriage back. A long train of empty goods wagons was just pulling out, and I threw my bag into a wagon and climbed in after it. We kept going for an hour or so until I was thoroughly lost "'Then I took advantage of a stop at a place "'that seemed to be the end of terrestrial things. "'Got out and started across country. "'I expressed my bag to you the other day "'from a town that rejoiced in the cheery name of Kokomo "'just to get rid of it. "'I walked into Annandale about midnight, "'found this medieval marvel through the kindness of the station master, "'and was reconnoitering with my usual caution "'when I saw a gentleman romantically entering through an open window. "'Larry paused to light a fresh cigarette.' "'You always did have a way of arriving opportunely. "'Go on with your story.' "'Well, it pleased my fancy to follow him, "'and by the time I had studied your diggings here a Trifle, "'things began to happen below. "'It sounded like a St. Patrick's Day celebration in an Irish village, "'and I went down at a gallop to see if there was any chance of breaking in. "'Have you seen the room?' "'Well,' he gave several turns to his right wrist as though to test it, "'we all had a jelly time there by the fireplace.' Another chap had got in somewhere, so there were two of them. Your man, I suppose it's your man, was defending himself gallantly with a large thing of brass that looked like the pipes of a grand organ, and I sailed in with a chair. My presence seemed to surprise the attacking party, who evidently thought I was you. Flattering, I must say, to me. Well, you undoubtedly saved Bates's life and prevented the rifling of the house, and after you had poured water on Bates, he's the servant, you came up here. "'Yep, that's the way of it. "'You're a brick, Larry Donovan. "'There's only one of you. "'And now, John Gunarm, we got to get down to business. "'Or you must. "'As for me, after a few hours "'of your enlivening society, "'you don't go a step "'until we go together. "'Nope, by the beard of the prophet. "'I have a fight on here, "'and I'm going to win if I die in a struggle. "'And you've got to stay with me to the end. "'But under the will, "'you dare not take a border, right? "'Right, Jack?' "'Well, of course. I dare. "'That wills as though it had never been, "'as far as I'm concerned. "'My grandfather never expected me "'to sit here alone and be murdered. "'John Marshall Glenarm was no fool.' no, nah, but he was a trifle weird, "'I should say. "'I don't have to tell you, old man, "'that this situation appeals to me. "'It's my kind of job. "'If it weren't that the hounds are at my heels, "'I'd like to stay with you. "'But you have enough trouble on your hands "'without opening the house to an attack by my enemies.' "'Stop talking about it, Larry. "'I don't propose to be deserted by the only friend I have in the world "'when I'm up to my eyes in trouble. "'Let's go down and get some coffee.' "'We found Bates trying to remove the evidences of the night's struggle. "'He had fastened a cold pack about his head and limped slightly. "'Otherwise he was the same, silent and inexplicable. "'The daylight had not improved the appearance of the room. "'Several hundred books lay scattered over the floor, "'and the shelves which had held them were hacked and broken.' Bates, you think you can make us some coffee? Just let the room go for the present. Yes, sir. And Bates? He paused, and Larry's keen eyes were bent sharply upon him. Mr. Donovan is a friend who will be with me for some time. We'll fix up his room later in the day. He limped out, Larry's eyes following him. What do you think of that fellow? I asked. Larry's face wore a puzzled look. "'What do you call him, Bates?' "'He's a plucky fellow.' Larry picked up from the hearth the big candelabrum with which Bates had defended himself, It was badly bent and twisted, and Larry grinned. "'I would guess the fellow who went out to the front door probably isn't feeling very well today. Your man was swinging this thing like a windmill.' "'I just can't understand it,' I muttered. "'I can't, for the life of me, see why he should have given battle to the enemy. They all belong to Pickering.' and Bates is the biggest rascal of the bunch. <laughs> we'll consider that later, said Larry. And would you mind telling me what kind of tallow factory this is? I never saw so many candlesticks in my life. I seem to taste tallow. I had no letters from you, and I supposed you were loafing quietly in a grim farmhouse, dying of ennui, and here you are in an establishment that ought to be the imperial residence of an Eskimo chief. Possibly you have crude petroleum for soup, "'and whipped salad oil for dessert. "'I declare a man living here "'ought to attain a high candle power of luminosity. "'It's perfectly immense.' "'He stared and laughed. "'And hidden treasure! "'And night attacks! "'And young virgins in the middle distance! Yet yeah, I think I will stay a while.' "'As we ate breakfast, "'I filled in gaps I left in my hurried narrative, "'with relief that I cannot describe, "'filling my heart as I leaned again "'upon the sympathy of an old and trusted friend.' As Bates came and went, I marked Larry's scrutiny of the man. I dismissed Bates as soon as possible that we might talk freely. Take it up and down and all around, what do you think of all this? I asked. Larry was silent for a moment. He wasn't given to careless speech in personal matters. Well, there's more to it than frightening you all for getting your grandfather's money. It's my guess that there's something in this house that somebody, Pickering supposedly, is very anxious to find. "'Yes, I begin to think so. "'He could come in here legally "'if it were merely a matter of searching for lost assets. "'Yes, and whatever it is must be well hidden. "'As I remember, your grandfather died in June. "'You got a letter calling you home in October.' "'I answered, Larry, "'Yeah, it was sent out blindly, "'with not one chance in a hundred "'that it would ever reach me.' "'To be sure,' he said. "'You were a wanderer on the face of the earth.' and there was nobody in America to look after your interest. You may be sure that the place was thoroughly ransacked while you were sailing home. I'll wager you the best dinner you ever ate, that there's more at stake than your grandfather's money. The situation is inspiring. I grow interested. I'm almost persuaded to stay a while. We'll return to Chapter 20 right after this sponsor message. And now, back to our story. Chapter 20, A Triple Alliance Larry refused to share my quarters and chose a room for himself, which Bates fitted up out of the house stores. I didn't know what Bates might surmise about Larry, but he accepted my friend in good part as a guest who would remain indefinitely. He seemed to interest Larry, whose eyes followed the man inquiringly. When he went into Bates' room on our tour of the house, Larry scanned the books on a little shelf with something more than a casual eye. There were exactly four volumes, Shakespeare's Comedies, The Fairy Queen, Stern's Sentimental Journey, and Yates' Land of Heart's Desire. I noticed him looking and spoke up. "'A queer customer, Larry. Nobody but my grandfather could ever have discovered him. He found him up in Vermont,' Larry answered. "'I suppose his being a blooming Yankee naturally accounts for this.' Taking from under the pillow of the narrow iron bed "'a copy of the Dublin Freeman's Journal.' "'That's a little odd,' I said. "'But if you found a Yiddish newspaper "'or an Egyptian papyrus under his pillow, "'I wouldn't have been surprised.' "'Nor I,' said Larry. "'I'll wager that not another shelf in this part of the world "'contains exactly that collection of books and nothing else. "'You will notice that there was once a book plate "'in each of these volumes, "'and that it's been scratched out with care.' "'on a small table were pen and ink "'and a curious, much-worn portfolio. "'He always gets the mail first, doesn't he?' asked Larry. "'Yeah, I believe he does.' "'I thought so, and I'll swear he never got a letter "'from Vermont in his life. "'When we went down, Bates was limping about the library, "'endeavoring to restore order. "'Bates,' I said to him, "'you are a very curious person.' I've had a thousand and one opinions about you since I came here, and I still don't make you out. He turned from the shelves, a defaced volume in his hands. Yes, sir. It was a good deal that way with your lamented grandfather. He always said I puzzled him. Larry, safe behind the fellow's back, made no attempt to conceal a smile. I want to thank you, Bates, for your heroic efforts to protect the house last night. You acted nobly and I must confess that I didn't think it was in you. You've got the right stuff in you. I'm only sorry that there are black pages in your record that I can't reconcile with your manly conduct of last night. But we've got to come to an understanding. Yes, sir. The most outrageous attacks have been made on me since I came here. You know what I mean well enough. Mr. Glenarm never intended that I should sit down in his house and be killed or robbed. He was the gentlest being that ever lived, and I'm going to fight for his memory and to protect his property from the scoundrels who have plotted against me. I hope you're on my side. Yes, Mr. Glenarm. He was regarding me attentively. His lips quavered, perhaps from weakness, for he certainly looked ill. Now I offer you your choice: either to stand loyally by me in my grandfather's house or to join these scoundrels Arthur Pickering has hired to drive me out. I'm not going to bribe you. I don't offer you a cent for standing by me. But I won't have a traitor in the house, and if you don't like me or my terms, I want you to pack up and go now.' He straightened quickly, his eyes lighted, and the color crept into his face. I had never before seen him appear so much like a human being. "'Mr. Glenarm, you have been hard on me.' There have been times when you have been very unjust. Unjust? My God! What do you expect me to take from you? Haven't I known that you were in league with Pickering? I'm not as dull as I look, and after your interview with Pickering in the chapel porch, you can't convince me that you were faithful to my interest at that time. He started and gazed at me wonderingly. I had had no intention of using the chapel porch interview at this time, but it leaped out of me uncontrollably. I, I suppose, sir," he began brokenly, "that I can hardly persuade you that I meant no wrong on that occasion. You certainly can't, and it's safer for you not to try. But I'm willing to let all that go as a reward for your work last night. Make your choice now: stay here and stop your spying, or clear out of Annandale within the hour. He took a step toward me. The table was between us and he drew quite near but stood clear of it, erect until there was something almost soldierly and commanding in his figure. "'By God, I will stand by you, John Glenarm," he said, and struck the table smartly with his clenched hand. He flushed instantly, and I felt the blood mounting into my own face as we gazed at each other. He, Bates, the servant, and I, his master. He had always addressed me so punctiliously with the sir of respect that his declaration of fealty, spoken with so sincere and vigorous an air of independence, and with the bold emphasis of the oath, held me spellbound, staring at him. The silence was broken by Larry, who sprang forward and grasped Bates's hand. "'I, too, Bates,' I said, feeling my heart leap with liking, even with admiration for the real manhood that seemed to transfigure this hireling, this fellow whom I had charged with the most infamous treachery, this servant who had cared for my needs in so humble a spirit of subjection. The knocker on the front door sounded peremptorily, and Bates turned away without another word, and admitted Stoddard, who came in hurriedly. "'Merry Christmas!' in his big hearty tones was hardly consonant with the troubled look on his face. I introduced him to Larry and asked him to sit down. "'Pray excuse our disorder. We didn't do it for fun. It was one of Santa Claus's tricks.' He stared about, wonderingly. "'So you caught it, too, did you?' "'Yeah, to be sure. You don't mean to say that they raided the chapel?' "'That's exactly what I mean to say. When I went into the church for my early service, I found that someone had ripped off the wainscoting in half a dozen places, and even pried up the altar. It's the most outrageous thing I ever knew. You've heard of the proverbial poverty of the church mouse. What do you suppose anybody could want to raid a simple little country chapel for?' And more curious yet, the church plate was untouched, though the closet where it was kept was upset, as though the miscreants had been looking for something they didn't find. Stoddard was greatly disturbed, and gazed about the topsy-turvy library with growing indignation. We drew together for a council of war. Here was an opportunity to enlist a new recruit on my side. I already felt stronger by reason of Larry's accession. As to Bates, my mind was still numb and bewildered. "'Larry, there's no reason why we shouldn't join forces with Mr. Stoddard, "'as he seems to be affected by this struggle. "'We owe it to him and the school to put him on guard, "'particularly since we know that Ferguson's with the enemy.' "'Yes, certainly,' said Larry. "'He always liked or disliked new people unequivocally, "'and I was glad to see that he surveyed the big clergyman with approval. "'I'll begin at the beginning,' I said, "'and tell you the whole story.' "'He listened quietly to the end "'while I told him of my experience with Morgan, "'of the tunnel into the chapel crypt, "'and finally of the affair in the night "'and our interview with Bates. "'I feel like rubbing my eyes "'and accusing you of reading Penny Horrors,' he said. "'That doesn't sound like the 20th century in Indiana. "'But Ferguson, you'd better have a care in his direction. "'Sister Teresa... "'Ferguson's gone, without notice. "'He got his traps and skipped without saying a word to anyone. "'We'll hear from him again, no doubt.' Now, gentlemen, I believe we understand one another. I don't like to draw you, either one of you, into my private affairs. The big chaplain laughed. Glenarm, if you hadn't let me in on this, I should never have got over it. Why, this is a page out of the good old times. Bless me! I never appreciated your grandfather. I must run. I have another service. But I hope you gentlemen will call on me, day or night, for anything I can do to help you. Please don't forget me. I had the record once for shot put. "'Why not give our friend escort through the tunnel?' asked Larry. "'I'll not hesitate to say that I'm dying to see it.' "'To be sure.' We went down into the cellar and poked over the lantern and candlestick collections, and I pointed out the exact spot where Morgan and I had indulged in our revolver duel. It was fortunate that the plastered walls of the cellar showed clearly the cuts and scars of the pistol balls, or I fear my story would have fallen on incredulous ears.' The debris I had piled upon the false block of stone in the cellar lay as I had left it, but the three of us quickly freed the trap. The humor of the thing took strong hold of my new allies, and while I was getting a lantern to light us through the passage, Larry sat on the edge of the trap and howled a few bars of a wild Irish jig. We set forth at once and found the passage unchanged. When the cold air blew in upon us, I paused. "'Have you gentlemen the slightest idea of where you are?' "'We must be under the school grounds, I should say,' replied Stoddard. "'We're exactly under the stone wall. Those tall posts at the gate are a scheme for keeping fresh air in the passage.' "'Well, you certainly have all the modern improvements,' observed Larry, and I heard him chuckling all the way to the crypt door. When I pushed the panel open and we stepped out into the crypt, Stoddard whistled, and Larry swore softly. "'It must be for something,' exclaimed the chaplain. "'You don't suppose Mr. Glenarm built a secret passage just for the fun of it, do you? "'He must have had some purpose. "'Why, I sleep out here within forty yards of where we stand, "'and I never had the slightest idea of this.' "'Yeah, but other people seem to know of it,' observed Larry. "'To be sure, the curiosity of the whole countryside "'was undoubtedly piqued by the building of Glenarm House. "'The fact that workmen were brought from a distance "'was in itself enough to arouse interest.' Morgan seems to have discovered the passage without any trouble. More likely it was Ferguson. He was the sexton of the church and had a chance to investigate, said Stoddard. And now, gentlemen, I must go to my service. I'll see you again before the day is over. And we make no confidences, I admonished. F, I believe that's the proper expression under all circumstances. And the Reverend Paul Stoddard laughed, clasped my hand, and went up into the chapel vestry. I closed the door in the wainscoting and hung the map back in place. We went up into the little chapel and found a small company of worshippers assembled, a few people from the surrounding farms, half a dozen sisters sitting somberly near the chancel, and the school servants. Stoddard came out into the chancel, lighted the altar tapers, and began the Anglican communion office. I had forgotten what a church service was like, and Larry, I felt sure, had not attended church since the last time his family had dragged him to Coral Vespers. "'It was comforting to know that here was, at least, "'one place of peace within reach of Glenarm House. "'But I may be forgiven, I hope, "'if my mind wandered that morning "'and my thoughts played hide-and-seek with memory. "'For it was here, in the winter twilight, "'that Marion Devereux had poured out her girl's heart "'in a great flood of melody. "'I was glad that the organ was closed. "'It would have wrung my heart to hear a note from it "'that her hands did not evoke. "'When we came out upon the church porch,' "'and I stood upon the steps to allow Larry to study the grounds. "'One of the brown-robed sisterhood spoke my name. "'It was Sister Teresa. "'Can you come in for a moment?' she asked. "'I will follow at once,' I said. "'She met me in the reception room where I had seen her before. "'I am sorry to trouble you on Christmas Day with my affairs, "'but I've had a letter from Mr. Pickering, "'saying that he will be obliged to bring suit for settlement "'of my account with Mr. Glenarm's estate.' "'I needn't say that this troubles me greatly. "'In my position, a lawsuit is uncomfortable. "'It would do a real harm to the school. "'Mr. Pickering implies in a very disagreeable way "'that I exercised an undue influence over Mr. Glenarm. "'You can readily understand that it is not a pleasant accusation. "'He's going pretty far,' I said. "'He gives me credit for a degree of power over others "'that I regret to say I do not possess.' He thinks, for instance, that I am responsible for Miss Devereux's attitude toward him, something that I have nothing whatever to do with. No, of course not. I'm glad you have no harsh feeling toward her. It was unfortunate that your grandfather saw fit to mention her in his will. It has given her a great deal of notoriety, and has doubtless strengthened the impression in some minds that she and I really plotted to get as much possible of your grandfather's estate. No one would regret all this more than my grandfather. I am sure of that. There are many inexplicable things about his affairs. It seems hardly possible that a man so shrewd as he, and so thoughtful of the feelings of others, should have left so many loose ends behind him. But I assure you, I am giving my whole attention to these matters, and I am wholly at your service in anything I can do to help you. I sincerely hope that nothing may interfere to prevent your meeting Mr. Glenarm's wish "'that you remain, through the year. "'That was a curious and whimsical provision, "'but it is not, I imagine, so difficult. "'She spoke in a kindly tone of encouragement "'that made me feel uneasy and almost ashamed "'for having already forfeited my claim under the will. "'Her beautiful gray eyes disconcerted me. "'I had not the heart to deceive her. "'I have already made it impossible for me to inherit under the will.' THE DISAPPOINTMENT IN HER FACE REBUKED ME SHARPLY. I AM SORRY, VERY SORRY, INDEED, SHE SAID COLDLY. BUT HOW, MAY I ASK? I RAN AWAY LAST NIGHT. I WENT TO CINCINNATI TO SEE MISS Devereux. SHE ROSE, STARING IN DUMB ASTONISHMENT, AND AFTER A FULL MINUTE IN WHICH I TRIED VAINLY TO THINK OF SOMETHING TO SAY, I LEFT THE HOUSE. There is nothing in the world so tiresome as explanations, and I have never in my life tried to make them without floundering into seas of trouble. Join us next week Sunday night for Chapter 11, Pickering Serves Notice. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Stories for the Road. Please share 1001 Stories for the Road with a friend. We would appreciate that very much. And if you get a chance, we'd love to have a review. Also, we boldly ask for your support at patreon.com forward slash 1001storiesnetwork. For about the cost of a cup of blended coffee, you can help support this show monthly. And keep us going forward to our goal of 1001. And old-timers to this show know that once we reach 1001, we'll be headed for 2001. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next week Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Everyone stay safe. We'll see you then.